It's episode 11 of The Boost with Sarah Way, Marketing Manager for Mental Health America of the Mid-South. Let's go. All right, welcome to episode 11 of The Boost, conversations with people promoting mental health. And I am so excited to be here with Sarah Way. She's the Marketing Manager of Mental Health America of the Mid-South. They serve the middle and west part of Tennessee. Uh, she was previously the Public Health Education Manager. And stoked to have you on the show. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm excited to have a voice in mental health today. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to cover a lot of topics. We're going to cover advocacy and stigma and uh, what you all are driving from a, a program perspective and some of what you're doing with um, with education and also now on the marketing uh, lead at that organization, which is a 501c3. So uh, we'll talk about all of that. But as we always do, wanted to start with two questions for you, um, the virtual hug and the shameless plug that we do every episode. So the virtual hug is, Sarah, tell us somebody or something you're thankful for today. Well, I'm definitely feeling very grateful today. As I had told you, I had a lovely visit from my family yesterday, some extended family. Um, they came in through town, they're moving to Texas. Um, and so I'm just kind of like riding that high today of just the excitement of getting to see them. And um, I also think, I mean, I highly recommend um, getting to know your family again as an adult. I know it sounds strange, but I feel like right now I'm living in that like interesting intersection between youth and adulthood. Um, and this is some family I haven't seen in just a little bit of time. So um, I just really valued the conversation and the time that I had with them. And I'm also very excited because I have more family coming at the end of the week. So oh, nice. it's a family okay. week for me. It's a family week. Yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're in Nashville. So they're coming through. I didn't know they were moving to Texas. That's, uh, that's a big yeah. move. Yeah. It's a, uh, I'm from Pennsylvania originally. Um, all the families there and they okay. packed, the kids and everybody up in an RV and driving, I guess to Texas, it's like 24 hours. Yeah. So 12 is so the halfway Nashville. Uh-huh. So they stopped and this is current. They're moving right now. Like this is their oh, yeah. journey yes. to Texas. Yes. Oh, like I wow. almost wish they brought a video camera to videotape the whole totally. trip because it is something out of a sitcom. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> Think of a sitcom. That sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a video series in the making. Family mm -hmm. in the RV moving from Pennsylvania to Texas. With two little kids. <laughs> okay. So. Nice. And then you have more family rolling in later this week. That's cool. I do. I do. I'm feeling very loved this week. Everybody's coming to see me. My whole family, really, everybody is in Pennsylvania. So I feel like the first one that kind of ventured out into Nashville, into the South. And now one of my cousins is heading on out too into Texas. So. We'll be yeah. the Southerners. You'll be the Southerners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you make a great point about um, restructuring or reassessing family relationships. I think it certainly resonates with me. Um, I mean, to this day, you know, but uh, it's, it's amazing to see how influential your family can be on your life, certainly. And for, I can talk from my experience, um, the perception I had of my family very early on was one of perfection. I thought I had the, I, in some ways, the best family ever possible. And, you know, you learn things as you go along in life. And uh, I learned things as I went along. And then to have the, it's really some courage, the bravery to, that it took for me to take a fresh look at these people and these relationships in a new light. Um, you know, I'm into my early mid forties and, uh, it feels like in some ways I'm just waking up to the need to restructure some things and reset expectations or remove expectations a lot. I don't know if that, any mm -hmm. of that resonates with what you're going yeah. through with your family and you don't have to go into any more than you're comfortable with, of course, but, uh, that's yeah. been my experience. Yeah, it's almost like a whole reintroduction, you know, cause as you're figuring out who you are and, um, just even the ideas and the things that you stand for. It's, it's so interesting to be transparent with those people that you've known your whole life, you know, and watching you turn into who you are. 
Yeah. And for it to be uh, early on dependency, you know, as, as kids, we rely on our parents, especially for so many things and then to move into independence and then, you know, later on to restructure things into, you know, a mutually interdependent relationship or one where you're the caretaker, you know, certainly have to think down the line for, for how things go with our families. But, um, we're getting deep really quick yeah. here. We are um, getting deep. <laughs> we keep rolling. We, I got my coffee, so I'm like, I'm into everything. <laughs> you're, you're good to go. Awesome. Well, I don't want to forget. Um, let's do the shameless plug, which is, uh, just tell us, uh, in your own words, the, the great work you're doing and what you're doing for mental health America of the mid South. And then, and then also speak into what that organization as a nonprofit is doing too, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I always like to start with, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. Um, so I do love talking about mental health, but, um, if I don't have scientific evidence behind something, I make sure I, I put that out there too. Cause you always have to be, you know, just where you're getting your information from, make sure it's all solid. So, um, but yeah, I um, I am the marketing manager currently. Um, that was a recent switch. So a lot of my work is um, was from the public health education management. Um, I've had I've been with MHA since February uh, last February, so a year and a half. Um, and since then, I've executed six successful conferences, which has been very exciting for me because, I mean, just collaborating with those professionals and hearing what they have to say and um, and just getting that information out to our community. Um, MHA is a national uh, brand, but we're an affiliate. Um, so we focus on Tennessee specifically, and we're Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee. So these conferences always target those professionals that are living in Tennessee and working with those people. And a lot of it is social workers and counselors and psychologists and people that are taking this info and using it um, in their practice. So it's great to stay up to date on everything and current events. So that's what I've personally been working on. Um, but MHA as a whole, our whole idea is just um, adv advocacy for mental health um, and just breaking down stigma surrounding mental health because that's a big barrier for people um, getting the help that they need is just that stigma. And so that's our whole goal. We have lots of different programs that focus on lots of different groups of people, youth and older folks and caregivers. Um, and truly the whole goal of that just is making a safe space for everybody um, in the mental health world. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so mental health America, like this week, um, or by the time this airs last week is has their national conference going on. And I registered for the, the virtual aspect of it. And then there's an in-person mm -hmm. aspect in DC uh, as well. So when you talk about conferences, um, that that's fascinating to me and lots of marketers, I think, who are running events as a way to um, drive awareness or increase education around topics. So tell, tell me what a conference mm -hmm. looks like for you, one of these six. What's the structure? Yeah, so um, we have been virtual just because of COVID. And of course, now we're in the virtual world. So I think it appeals to more people. Yeah. Um, in the past, we've done some in person. I've executed uh, one in person so far. Um, but really, we we'd make it a full day. So anywhere from like four to six uh, credits for professionals. Um, we get it's basically a speaker comes on, gives a keynote speech for about 45 minutes and we follow up with a Q&A um, and we always have some sort of topic. So our last one was um, aging um, and we just talked about, you know, health for the aging community and uh, specifically dementia and the caregivers that support them. So we get, we're about half and half. We get some people that just come on and, you know, they just want the information and their caregivers themselves or they're just that general public. And then the other half is usually someone in the social work or um, counseling therapy field that is going to use it in their practice and get credits for it. Okay. So about half of those are CEs mm -hmm. or CE approved. Yeah. And just so people know, if you're a counselor or you're a therapist or um, wherever your mental health field is, you do have to have so many credits per year to keep your license. Um, and it just keeps you up to date on, you know, everything that's going on. Okay. Yeah. Um, so to that, to that point, I, 
I met actually Courtney Hatfield, your executive director, uh, was the first person I met at Mental Health America of the Mid South, and she uh, she just blew me away. We had coffee, and um, most things I do revolve around coffee. That's good, mm -hmm. um, but she has a financial background and um, business sense, business savvy. And um, it's, it's fascinating to, um, to see her try to, um, and, and succeed in being diligent about the priorities that she's tackling from the leadership perspective. Um, so maybe we could, we could have her on at some point. It'd be, it'd be wonderful to talk with her in this show. Yeah. Um, but from your perspective, um, driving the education piece, it's so it's so critical. What is your what is your sort of secret to success for event planning? What what are the things that you really lean into and rely on to to make it work? And this is a very selfish question as somebody who runs a conference. Um, it's it's in person and it's virtual. And actually, you're helping um, mm -hmm. as we think about the the hospitality component and the experiential component. I'm very grateful. Um, I think you have a a gift for that and. Um, you know, talk about some of the secrets that you employ or some of the processes that you employ. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Courtney is definitely a force. She is amazing. She's not afraid to change. Just as her staff member, she really has just supported everybody so well. And just, it's been amazing to work with her because um, she just, she really does help you out. And she gives you that trust to really like do the good things she knows that you can. Um, I think from an education standpoint, my secret is um, just the whole teamwork behind it. Hmm. You know, like leadership is supporting you. You've got your coworkers that are supporting you and just um, making sure to plan ahead so that they can help you in a way. And that's something that, of course, I'm saying that and I, I've learned that along the way. I've tried to do things all on my own and I've tried to just, you know, crank it out. But yeah. You really do need to lean on others because they're going to see things that you're not seeing um, and they can support you in the work. Sometimes planning conferences, I'm sure you know, is half busy work and half the brain work. Um, so it's good to kind of split that up so that, you know, you don't get lost in the busy work too and that everybody gets a chance to put in some brain work. So we do have like a team, our education planning team um, kind of helps build the conferences because then everybody has a different idea of, you know, what speakers will be great and they can point out anything that doesn't seem to flow. So definitely my secret teamwork. Do not try to mm. do it on your own. <laughs> you will get lost and you will get overwhelmed. You're right. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's, that's my struggle. It's um... as you're sitting over there sweating, like I do it all <laughs> on my own. <laughs> oh, it's hot in here all of a sudden. <laughs> Like, oh, that's been my problem. No, it's that. I mean, you're hitting a nerve right there with, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I took over this conference, I don't know, two years ago and uh, promptly shut it down in 21 while we retooled. And that is that has got to be one of the hardest things is. Is uh, allowing myself to, you know, be surrounded by smart people better than me, smarter than me. Uh, who can make the whole greater than the sum of the parts. So, you know, outsourcing mm -hmm. some of the business development standpoint um, or some of the business development tasks, because there's there's not just like you mentioned, there's uh, in addition to kind of the, the brain work, the high level strategy, and then the tactical sort of execution of it all. There's also this yin yang of growth of the organization or growth of the conference and then the operationalization of the conference and, and getting the spreadsheets and, and all the vendors lined up and things like that. And that's where my tension has been is I feel like I'm trying to do sometimes too much. And, you know, this conference is a, <clears throat> is been a labor of love and now it's hitting this critical point in time where it's, it's actually a sustainable organization and community. So it's the right time to be thinking about it. But yeah, that, that hits home. Whether or not you're a therapist, you're doing therapy right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's right. You touched on like surrounding yourself with people that are quote unquote better than you or smarter than you. That takes a little bit, I mean, a little hit to your pride too, to like be like, yes, I need people that are better than me to help bring me up. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when, yeah, if you surround yourself with people, you know, you're sometimes you're the leader and then you need some people to lead you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. A good dose of humility, which is always, always a yeah. good thing. Um, 
and then also uh oh well this is a great transition actually what you're talking about here which is this wonderful post you wrote uh on linkedin which is where i spend most of my social media time um about perfection and imperfection and uh, again maybe it's just my story my lived experience it definitely resonated with me and and there is something about um not simply bringing in people who are smarter than you or or better at things than me but also allowing them to do the work in the way that they see fit you know so it's like i swing the pendulum too far either way where i either want to be completely in control of of all the decisions or you know or swing it the entire entirely other way so there is a centering that has been good for me um but but talk about this post that you wrote um you know it had to do with uh this demerit you got in high school um and how how we were we were raised or how kids are raised and some of the expectations but i don't want to mm -hmm. try to put words in your mouth if you if you could talk about it a little bit and where it came from yeah well so i do the social media for mha um it was a big push for may for mental health awareness month and then as i'm looking at my own stuff i'm like man i'm here i am in the mental health field and i haven't even put any word out there for mental health month on my own page and it shows even like the procrastination of it like i even waited till like june 1st <laughs> and i was like so you gotta post this <laughs> because not even the, the month, month is over oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh um, but yeah, the idea really came from, of course, the demerit slip. I've, I've been using it. So the, for those that haven't seen it, it's just a, a post about a slip that I got in high school, demerit slip. Everybody knows who they are. I um, didn't have a single demerit or anything my whole entire high school career. I went to Catholic school for gosh knows how many, however many years since I was four. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was using it as a bookmark and it kind of sparked my creative mind one day when I was like, wow, I just remember that feeling like when I got it, you know, as a, and it was closed in. So I wasn't really looking at it as much. And then the one day I like opened it up, I was like, oh, I just got that like feeling again that it gave me. Mm -hmm. But just, um, yeah, I was just playing off the idea that, um, you know, it, it definitely puts you in a state of when you when nothing bad has gone on, it's like, you just want to keep up that perfectionism. Perfect. Streak. Um, and to me, that's how I feel like that I was gauging the success in my life is like, Oh, I've never messed up. You know, I've mm -hmm. never done anything wrong. I've never messed up. And so that's what success is, you know? Mm -hmm. And then as an adult, you start to learn, well, the only way to truly be successful is to keep trying and, and to mess up, you know, because if you don't take the risk, you're never going to reap the benefit from it. So, and then people try to hide it and they, you know, they take these small risks and maybe hide if something went wrong instead of sharing it. And then those people give off the idea that they're perfect too, because they're not sharing yeah. any downfalls that they've had in their life, mm -hmm. even though I'm sure everybody's had many and, you know, so, um, yeah, that was the whole, that was the whole spark, uh, for that post. Um, yeah. but I was really excited to share and thank you for reading it. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. It, it was a gem. Um, and it was, I love the line perfection is overrated. Um, I mean, when I went to, uh, talk therapy, um, really for the first time in my adult life, I'd gone when I was a kid, but as an adult and how the, I mean, the, the polarity shift in my life from um, this need to be perfect and to not admit mistakes uh, was embedded in me really early on as a, a pastor's kid. You know, you're in the front row at church, you know, and you're mm -hmm. there every week and um, you're kind of in the spotlight. And, and um, you know, I had three siblings, still have three siblings, and um, we all kind of each went our own way. But we all have this uh, burden that we've had to deal with or put down or carry, depending on our unique strategy around around this idea of being perfect. So when therapy in my life, uh, I call it, it, it really took the scales off my eyes. Like I really became somebody who could see all of a sudden. And most of that seeing was inward to my own mistakes and my own shame and my own emotions 
uh, to be able to to tap into and name emotions and to live with those instead of this uh, walled garden approach of not being able to look back and say, yeah, I, I made some mistakes and actually that's what made me human. That's that's actually the the beauty of life and life's also not over yet. So um, again, I feel like this is like a 50 minute couch session here. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also touches on, and again, I'm not a therapist, but a lot of the stuff that you pull like from your own personality is from the thoughts and the feelings that you've had as a child. Um, and it's, you know, those are some truths that you may have believed when you were younger um, that are not actually reality as an adult. And again, I'm not a therapist. I don't have the scientific evidence behind this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure there is some though, that uh, you really do shape who you are as a child and going back and recognizing those thoughts you may have had, for example, perfectionism. Um, a lot of young adults or even adults, you know, that are suffering from mental health challenges like anxiety, depression, or even eating disorders. It's all a search for that control and that perfection that maybe when you were younger and doing something very perfect and correct, you were praised for. And so sure. as an adult, you just crave that control and that perfectionist feeling and you're scared to be rejected and you're scared that someone might judge you. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, it's great to go back and revisit that and talk about it with someone you trust or talk about it with mm -hmm. a professional um, because it helps you really address those things. Cause sometimes you just hide it in your subconscious and you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't know that I really felt that way, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that's what that little demerit slip in my book was. It kind of hit me. It was like, Oh, I forgot that I felt that way, <laughs> that I don't need to be perfect. And if I tell yeah. someone a little bit about me and they don't like it, that's okay. You know, that's okay. a little bit of yeah. judgment, but then be that person who doesn't judge when a friend comes to you and wants to talk to you about something or, you know, don't, um, don't be standoffish about it. Really invite the conversation and, and be like, tell me more. How do you feel about it? Instead of projecting yourself onto them. Don't tell them yes. how to feel. Ask them, how are you feeling? Like, how does mm -hmm. that make you feel? Hmm. Yeah, that was the flip side of that, that LinkedIn post that was also so powerful was the um, opportunity to celebrate imperfection or celebrate, you know, process from failure. And of course, you want to see your friends live their best life and succeed and, and hit their goals, whatever those may be. And, um, you know, whether it's my own work, you know, um, you know, sort of, uh, reducing the focus on the end goal and focusing more on the, the, the hard yards of the work day in and day out has been certainly, um, beneficial and rewarding for me, you know, because, it's, it's not a perfect day. You know, you don't put in a perfect day. Nobody can sprint for eight hours in a marathon. And that, I think that applies to our work days too. So, um, giving yeah. ourselves grace is one thing. And then giving our friends, uh, that open space to be seen is an idea that I've been circling quite a bit is, Hey, I am, I am here for you. Um, you've lived your life and that's, very different than any other life that's going to be lived. And so I can meet you where you are and simply exist and be with you and, and support you just by my presence. And I know you're not a clinician, but I do think that's a big part of the magic actually of talk therapy is somebody who's simply willing to sit with you in a safe space and listen and think along with you. Yep. With no judgment, no, uh, yes. No harsh comments back you know it's very it's a very inviting space yeah yeah um it reminds me of a quote i think it's by albert einstein and he said one of the biggest decisions we have to make in our life is whether or not this is a safe space is a safe world that we're living in you know and it's kind of easy to go uh <clears throat> to go no that's not the case it's you know it's it's a very intentional kind of decision but when you're using the bravery to say yeah, actually, you know, I can, I can say my failings and I can say what I think I've done wrong or something like that, you know, whether it's to a therapist or your friends or family and, and, uh, and know that there's something about that that's disconnected from 
from you or yourself or your ego really is the thing to be able to mm -hmm. kind of disassociate that and and use it as a way to serve your friends around you even um so yeah. you all at, i want to get back to mental health america of the mid-south um because um you mentioned youth and certainly you know, we could talk about adverse childhood experiences and um, some of the youth programs that you that you provide. Um, but sort of staying in in your sphere of um, responsibility at MHA of the Mid South, um, what are some of the what are some of the key programs that you're doing? Um, or maybe that's the wrong term. Talk about the screenings is really what I want to get to. Um, the screenings that you're providing the public. Um, I, I'd love to bring some awareness to those. I think it's it's crucial from a data standpoint and what Courtney is driving toward and what you all are driving toward. Um, but talk about the screenings, just kind of level set on that, and then we can get into it a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we do have a youth program, um, our Erasing the Stigma Youth. Um, we have um, two, actually three, three girls that go into schools and they give presentations. Um, and that's really, they're like hour long presentations. Um, targeted to middle school and high school students to kind of start the conversation about mental health. And there's a bunch of different topics that they cover. Um, so that's really great for the youth that we're actively doing in our community. Um, but for me personally, I do work with our screenings um, and those are, they're online. It's a mental health assessment that you can take. It's really quick. That's, you know, maybe five to 15 questions, depending on the test that you're taking. Um, and what it does is at the end of the test, um, it, you know, it tells you that this is not a diagnosis, but it just gives you like on a scale of where it feels that you fall. And then it provides you with some resources after so that you can either do your own research on it, if it's something mild and you just want to get some coping skills, or you just want to do some research on it to see if you think you need to take a next step or if it comes back a little more towards the severe end and you're like, well, okay, I really need to find, so I need, you know, I need to take action and take care of this and go see a professional and it'll help you do that as well. Um, so the screenings, it's been great. We've had them for almost 10 years. It is a huge bank of data that we then use to help, you know, guide our work in the future. So it is national. Um, we just work with, um, the screenings in middle and West Tennessee. Um, but it is a screening that is national and, uh, MHA national does do great work with it. So, but I mean, they're really cool. It's one of those tests where like, even if you don't go and use the resources at the end, it really does ask you those hard questions that you might not be thinking to ask yeah. yourself. Um, and I think it's a great conversation starter too, to even talk with a friend or even if you're already in therapy to talk to your therapist about, um, because usually when you're not feeling great, especially mentally, you have trouble identifying what that actual feeling is or what, what the symptom is. Um, so I think the questions really help guide you personally as well. And that's what I like about them. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, they're great tests and it, they're imp critically important tests. I think you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, close to 800 people in May took an assessment around uh, suicidality. And um, and like a quarter of those people mentioned, um, let's see if I have it. Uh, yeah, selected the box. Every day I have thoughts, I'd be better off hurting myself or dead. So, um, I mean, that's I mean, that uh, that like hits really close to home just to think that, yeah, just your tests alone out in the market um, it could save somebody's life, you know, and um, as much as we want to think globally. And I love Mental Health America at the national level. Um, their events marketing manager, Catherine Reynolds, is coming to our conference in September. She's going to talk about the role of advocacy in behavioral health. Um, and I, maybe we put a pin in advocacy. I'd love to come to that next. Um, but the, those, these screenings are, are free, they're anonymous and they're impacting people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I mean, we get, we're just middle and West Tennessee and we get yeah. three to 4,000 entries each month, um, from these mental health screenings. And I'm the one that kind of pulls the data together every month. And it is, 
I do have that moment when I look at, and it's not, it's, um, there's some questions that pertain to suicidality. So they pull that info and yeah, that is always the shocking part that I get to. And the whole thing is a little hard, you know, seeing how many people are answering the way that they do, but that one question regarding suicidality and you kind of rate between like once in a while, most days, you know, some days, and then the one is every day. And just like, it's just so powerful when I see it's almost 25% every month that these people that are in my community are checking that box that says, yes, every month I feel this way. And that always hits me so hard every time. Yeah. It's gotta be hard to see that data month over month and and it's uh, it's even worse if we turn a blind eye to it, you know, to know that this is happening yeah. in our community and what mm-hmm. what we can do. So yeah, um, and here's me just looking at the data. I have yeah. we have I know some of my coworkers go out and talk to the community about suicide prevention, and they come back from like I don't even know how you do that. Like yeah. you are a special person to be able to go. Some of them are like a whole day long, and they go mm. talk about suicide prevention and signs of suicide and mental health first aid and how to react yeah. to when someone's in a mental health crisis. I'm um, just like, bless all of you because <laughs> that takes a really strong person to be able to do that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's sort of this like quadrant idea that I, I think about a lot where we have, I think we have a, an individual responsibility to care for ourselves and, and love ourselves and treat ourselves well and with kindness. And then there is this, um, this horizontal axis where, uh, we're also responsible for caring for our community. And that's actually an early podcast guest, David Whitesock, uh, helped me frame that idea as something that I always believed in, but he said it so with such frankness that it just cemented it in my head. And so for those people to be able to be in a space where they can care for other people and provide, you know, whatever, whatever they, whatever they can or whatever is within their bandwidth to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. God bless those people. That's, that's an amazing service that they're offering. Yeah. So what are you doing from a marketing perspective to um, get these screenings out into the public? I know they're in English and Spanish and there's all sorts of different tests, but what are some of the things that you've experimented with or played around with that are really working for you or that you, on the other flip of that coin, what you want to try that maybe um, you haven't been able to yet for whatever reason? Yeah. um, So there is, there's a bunch of different tests, tests, um, uh, related to anxiety, depression, eating disorders, bipolar disorder. Uh, there, and we do offer two in Spanish. Anxiety and depression are offered in Spanish. Uh, we do have a youth test, um, which is helpful. And when you're taking the test, you can kind of check off if it's for you or you're taking it for someone else. So hmm. even if you're you know, a parent and you're addressing a child, you can you know, take the test for them in a sense and kind of yeah. assess where they're at. Um, but really to market them, I mean, we work with channel five a lot. We've been, um, on their media platforms. We've been getting stuff out, you know, on their websites and Google ads. Um, we've been working on our own social media, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and, you know, finding that happy balance too, because to me, social media, um, can be good and bad. <laughs> we talked about this earlier where we you kind of get there. stuck in social yeah. media. Yeah. So I try to be very intentional with my posts, um, mm. trying not to just make it a mass of blank information of just endless scrolling. But when we put something out, try to make it, you know, attach a resource to it or, you know, make it something that's really beneficial that makes people stop and read it and mm. actually use yeah. what's on there. Um, we've also redone our website recently. Um, it was like a whole night and day. We had a website from something out of the eighties. <laughs> so we were you very led a gracious. Lot of that process, right? You um, a lot of that. Yes. Well, me and one of my other coworkers, we really put in the content to build it. Um, and yeah, and screenings are still front and center on there because I think that's one of, it's a really valuable resource that we offer. Um, so bringing people to that page, hmm. um, but yeah, really our push in social media has been, and just communications in general, like sending out blast emails. Um, so, and I know our, our board has been really grateful for that too. I think they feel that we've been doing a better job at pushing us and getting our name out there. Um, because that's one thing like in our community right now, I feel like people hear MHA and they're like, oh, who is that? Or, you know, who is Mount America, the Mid-South? Yeah. 
And the whole idea is to change that. We want we want to be a force in the mental health uh, field just right here, you know, in our community. So hoping to get people to recognize us and, and use our resources. Yeah, I, I, that's the best kept secret in town, if that's the case, because it's a it's a beautiful organization and the work you're doing is is tremendously important to the community. Um, and, and, and so it's interesting to hear of kind of the way you're working through social media and, and paid and media, local media and things like that. And social media is tricky. Um, you know, we were talking pre-record about how great some social media platforms are about getting your attention and keeping mm. your attention for long periods of time sometimes. And so, you know, I mean, part of my passion is helping organizations like yours and that are in the behavioral health space get as great as they can be about consumer marketing. One, because it's a it's a crowded fight out there to compete against, you know, other messages, um, other brands, you know, you're up against Coca-Cola, you know, to mm -hmm. get some eyeballs and especially for a platform like Facebook, which it's moved to such a pay for play strategy. Um, you know, yeah. there, there are other social media platforms that maybe haven't made that conversion yet, but it almost seems like an end game for most social media platforms to be, pay to play just because that's where the incentives are for brands to um, get in front of people. Um, but the last, the last bit of that is that some of those people uh, simply because of the nature of their mental illness or their mental health struggle are, they have a symptom of wanting to stay alone or not seek care, you know, um, simply because of the mental illness or mental health challenge. So uh, there's yeah. that important part about what you're doing with marketing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that I've, I honestly been thinking about this for a while too, and I've had some friends, friends mention it to me um, when people, it kind of builds the stigma when you put a diagnosis to something that um, you don't have a full diagnosis on. So when someone's like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm bipolar or, you know, use the word like, Oh, I'm depressed. Um, I think you have to be careful too in your social, just in your posting and in your comments mm. and social media and just in your conversations with your friends and family in general to not use those yeah. terms unless it, you know, it's something that is, is diagnosed because you're also building the stigma when someone's like, Oh, you know, I'm bipolar. And it's like, are you bipolar? Or are you, you're feeling emotional, you know, or you're feeling and same with depressed people use that word depressed. And it's like, are, are you feeling sad, you know, or, you know, what what is going on because then i've even had buddies kind of reach out to me and they're like you know i'm feeling i'm feeling anxious and they're like okay like are you you know do i need to get help or do i need to yeah <laughs> you know so you yeah. choose your words you correctly. Mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah because you want to be able to help people when they when they need it um hmm. but yeah that, sorry to to jump in there the uh the importance of words that we use as simple as it sounds is like the bedrock for how we connect with each other in a big way. Um, even you know, when I got involved with this conference four or five years ago, I changed my language dramatically. And what you're talking about is I think very next level or how things have evolved. Um, you know, but there's examples of like, Oh, well, this is crazy, you know? And once mm -hmm. I became aware of that phrase and caught myself and, and then heard it everywhere. I thought, oh, wow, we have like infiltrated, uh, penetrated this word into our vocabulary on a regular basis. Yeah. And is it useful? Is it helpful? Is it specific or, or clear, you know, because clear is kind and, and what your approach is there with your buddies is, is kindness. It's like, no, actually, I, I want to know, um, mm -hmm. one, because it could be confusing to other people. And two, is there something I could do for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We always talk about something about like person first, where you say, um, you know, a, a, a person suffering from or living with whatever mm -hmm. the mental health condition is, as opposed to saying, you know, the, the bipolar person, you know, yeah. person yeah. living with bipolar um, kind of takes it off of the person. Cause you know, it's the same as any other, you know, like a physical illness, a person living with cancer, 
you know, it's, it's the same thing. So it kind of puts it in the same realm. Yeah. I love that. I, nobody says I am cancer or I am yeah, high right. blood pressure, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep, so, I'm living with cancer. I'm living with, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have, I have a mental mm -hmm. health struggle and it's, right. you know, you know, um, but it, it goes back to your point about um, reframing relationships with our family and maybe reframing relationships with our, with our vocabulary and our words um, mm -hmm. because it does extremely matter. Um, I, I learned that point that you just made from, a book by uh, Dr. Thomas Insull called um, Healing, Our Path from uh, Mental Illness to Mental Health. I think our nation's path, I'm getting the title wrong, but um, the point is, yeah, to reframe the words so that it's not identified with our ego or ourselves, because that's partly where the stigma is. Or to your, or to, wow, this is very cohesive, but to your point about, um, <laughs> Uh, I'll get there to your, your point about, um, admitting our wrongs, you know, or admitting our humanity. Uh, if we have such stigma tied to not just the illness, let's say, but also the treatment and all of that comes from our ego or our super ego, um, there's so much attachment and part of the secret to most things is sort of a, to be able to help in a healthy way, detach in order to have a, a loving, open relationship with ourselves or our friends or our family. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just talking. I'm just rambling here. We're babbling at this point. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> okay. So I'll edit that part out about me rambling. Um, no, leave it. It keeps, it keeps the imperfection. <laughs> oh, it does keep the imperfection. We got to keep this real for the folks, you know, this it, is real. It's the wabi-sabi. It's the yeah. beauty of imperfection. <laughs> then I'm not going to edit it. Um, okay. So let's talk about one more thing is uh, at least one more thing, which is uh, sure. advocacy and advocate. So um, at this conference I run, um, we've been... Uh, generously offered to uh, promote a really cool t-shirt that says mental health advocate. And uh, it's stylish, it's minimalist, it's it's very on brand, and it's about something bigger than ourselves, which is what I really love. Because as we've been circling t-shirt conference ideas, you know, they typically come down to kind of this team building exercise looking t-shirt that people may not want to wear. Last year's was awesome. It was very cool, um, but it was very inward focused on, this is sort of our Phoenix rising moment. So we're onward and upward, um, realizing the challenges that therapists and providers and clinicians have today. Um, but the mental health advocate shirt is simply, I don't know, just the, the right next step we need to take. So start with uh, just given MHA's perspective and your own perspective, What's an advocate? What is a mental health advocate? Like, what does that mean to you? Well, that is a good question. Um, I honestly love, I work with a lot of different folks in different walks of life and different professions and, you know, and everybody has their little credentials tagged behind their name. Mm -hmm. And I love when someone has mental health advocate tagged behind it because it's not a degree and it's not a, um, you know, it's not a certificate. It's just, it's showing that in the work that you do in your personal life and, you know, every day you just truly want to be a safe space and mm. an advocate for mental health. You know, I, it's kind of just saying, here I am. I want to talk about it because a lot of people tend to hide mental health or sure. they, you know, they're scared to talk about it again about being judged. Here I am, I work in a space with everyone who's working in mental health. And I can tell that we still have those moments where you're like, yeah. oh, do we want to talk sure. about it? Do we uh, not? Um, so it is, it's real and it's there. And if it's real where I am, I can only imagine even outside of it's just, you know, um, anyway, to reel it back in mental health advocacy, being a mental health advocate, I think it's great to put it out there because it just, it, it gives, it's the hand and the handshake, you know, you're reaching the hand out and saying, yeah. yes, I can talk to you about this. And yes, I support you. Anything you say, I'm not, I'm not going to judge you and I'm going to hear you and be there for you. Mm. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I would, from a picture standpoint, 
um, to go back to the idea of the quadrant of caring for ourselves and then caring for others, I see the ability to say, I'm a mental health advocate more often than not as somebody who resonates with me as a person who's done some work inside. And I can't judge where everybody's at like sort of with their own mental health journey, but it does seem like they've, excuse me, they've come to a place where they can extend some branches. If this is a tree, you know, they can grow some sprouts to reach out to other people as part of that, maybe commitment or, um, responsibility to care for people around us. You know, that's, that's mm -hmm. more often than not the, the vibe I get when somebody says I'm a mental health advocate and yeah, I'm not, a am not licensed in any kind of way. I'm not an LMFT or anything. Um, but I can be an advocate and there's nothing small about that because if you had asked me five years ago, are you a mental health advocate? No, I wasn't. Um, mm. And then to see not just, not just growth up and to the right, but logarithmic exponential capacity to impact the conversation around mental health simply as an advocate, there's, there's zero way that you can talk down to an advocate in my mind. Mm -hmm. Yep, I would agree. We're going to edit this out that we're for sure going to edit out this dead space. Why? It's just we're just pausing. We're we're guiding our thoughts. You're right. You're <laughs> right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it's just the pause. <laughs> it's just the quiet. See, where do we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> where do we go from here? It's hard. It's hard as a it's hard as a podcast host. You do I do feel like that's a great point. This is this is a very this is a very perfectly imperfect um It's perfectly imperfect conversation. The space between uh this is a good learning this is a good learning lesson for me in terms of being you should a make a podcast called the space in between and the space learning in between. how to be comfortable with silence <laughs> <laughs> learning the comfort and silence you don't have to fill everything it's the same as negative space and art yeah and, and art people and they just want to throw something into the negative space and it's like whoa that was there for a reason that looks good you know or you have a yeah. corner of your room where there's nothing it's negative That's space. It's just beautiful. as beautiful as the filled space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If it's all filled space, it's just all noise and uh, yeah. and so crowded messaging. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have the light to have the dark kind of thing. Oh, what a relief. That's such a relief. Thank you <laughs> for sharing that point. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Uh, it's going to change a, the case. An art professor in college kind of threw that on me. He was like, negative space. You need it. And it just opened my... My whole world, you know. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, so you're an artist. Um, that is definitely a very heavy term that people are scared of to identify as artist. Um, but yeah. yes, I would say so. I'm going to claim it. I am an artist. It's not a, it's not a people first. I'm somebody <laughs> <Yes>. who. <laughs> I yeah. am an artist. Yes. What are your mediums? What do you do when you're creating art? Um, mediums wise, we're talking like studio artwork. Um, I love just a pencil in my hand sketching, but, um, painting is very fun too. I feel like it's a really great creative outlet. Um, and you can't be afraid to make bad art to make good art. So yeah. just, you know, again, with the perfection thing, when you go into a piece of artwork, don't try to make it perfect. Just, uh, go into it and, and, uh, see what you can express through your artwork. Mm hmm. Yeah or what gets expressed through you? Is that a term that resonates? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you like you are your own medium and um, yeah, just expressing yeah. whatever, whatever it is that you want to get out. And then um, how people relate to that artwork is also interesting too. I never like to preface it with telling someone about my artwork. I kind of want them to see it first and see how they project onto it. Cause I think that's a, um, a good key into good artwork is people can then project onto it. Same with music, mm. you know, mm. songs that you don't really know as much about and you kind of project on. Those are the songs that you really hold on to because you have that emotional attachment to it because you're projecting your own life onto it. So sure, that's sure. definitely the key to good artwork. <laughs> Another way to leave space is mm -hmm. for somebody yes, else. Leave space for people to, yes, pop in their own thoughts and feelings. Yeah. There's a book I love called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. 
And he talks a lot about uh, when you simply get out of your own way and and allow the work to happen. Um, oftentimes, you'll you'll run into some resistances or some obstacles, and and then if you continue through the obstacle, then a muse appears, and the muse is sort of the inspiration or the actual creator that's within us. And it's a, it's a wild idea that he takes so seriously, but, um, I'm a writer and I'm, I mean, I would love to say I'm a musician. I love music and playing music. Um, but I can, I, I definitely identify like I'm a writer. Um, and when I allow myself to do the work, uh, it's very different what comes out when it's not trying, right. It's like power without force or power without marketing intent behind it. And of course we have to do marketing mm -hmm. copy too, but, um, yeah. it's, it's Finding incredibly your powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's inspired. It actually is. And it's also very raw and honest, like to the point where the thing I'm fighting is, oh gosh, should I, should I allow this to be said? And the more I can get out of the way of that, mm -hmm. then I think that's where the, the, the real beauty comes from. Mm-hmm. And not worrying about being judged, just make the artwork, you know, yeah. don't worry about being judged on it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, uh, whatever your hand finds to do, uh, do it with all your strength or all your might. And I love the phrasing of that because it doesn't say whatever you find to do. It's almost like you're, if you can let your hand drive and just stay out of the way as much as possible, you know, and that takes energy. But if we can do it, you know, for an hour in the morning and just let myself write without me writing it, it's very mm. different. And sometimes it transforms into poetry or something out of the blue that I'm not even cognizant or aware of that I'm thinking. Yeah, no, I feel that. Negative space. <laughs> Just bringing it in. <laughs> See how was, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning to just let the space. That was a beautiful little moment. Let the negative space happen. <laughs> yeah, let it happen. Oh my gosh. Well, this yeah. has been really Without great. judging I, myself. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Right? I, but yeah, I definitely appreciate you having me on this. This has been so great to share all my thoughts and MHA's thoughts. And um, yeah, we we're just grateful for the opportunity. So thank you so much. You, yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's yeah. a, it's a delight and, um, would love to have Courtney on at some point. I will send some links that we've talked about or that you've referenced, um, when we, when we put this out into the market so people can click through to your website, mhamidsouth.org is the website. If you're listening now and want to go right there. Um, but that'll be, uh, in the posts that we do, but yeah, thanks for being on the show, Sarah. It's a, it's a joy. It's been a joy. Thank you.